0: Good morning, Village Church East. Good morning. <laughs> wow, that was impressive. Uh, my name is Craig, I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at our, our uh, East Campus. I named this message, Snowball, when we had snow on the ground, all right? So uh, Michael and I uh, uh, put this message together and it sounded like a good idea at the time and today's like the first day the sun comes out. So, um, so we're gonna be talking about this um, aftermath that we see in Genesis, and we're gonna liken it a little bit to a snowball. How many of you have built a snowman before? Put up your hands if you built a snowman before, all right. So there's not really very many people that haven't built a snowman. You know how you build a snowman, you start with a little snowball, and then you roll it on the ground, and you roll it and you roll it, and eventually it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, until it becomes so big that there's a point where this little snowball, you, you, you turn it over and it, and it picks up a massive amount of snow. And then if you can turn it over one more time, it picks up a mass, And eventually you're picking up the grass out of the lawn, right? Because it's so heavy that one little turn picks up so much debris. And if you see a big snowman, typically you'll see it and it'll be all brown because of what a snowball does when you roll it on the ground. It collects more snow. It collects a massive amount of, um, of mass. In Genesis 3, um, we come across the snowball of sin. On Genesis 3, this starts very, very small. In fact, what is the sin in Genesis 3? What, what did they do that they weren't supposed to do? They ate from the tree, right? They weren't supposed to eat from the tree. Now, if you were to rank that on a scale of sin today, from one to ten, let's say ten being you know you're a mass murderer, right? Eating a piece of fruit that, or if your kid eats a piece of fruit that you tell them not to eat from, versus they grow up to be a mass murderer. On a scale of one to ten, where does eating a piece of fruit come in? Yeah, pretty low to the bottom, right? Ten's the bad side, by the way. So it would come in pretty much at one or or minus one, something like that. In Genesis 3, this is how the whole process begins, with a very small rebellious bite. Adam and Eve chose to not obey God for the very first time in their lives, and we're not told how long they lived before they did this, but at some point, Eve made the decision to take from the tree, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate too. We've walked through this whole conversation. It's been really interesting uh, looking at it because we don't know where the conversation Eve had with Satan started. But wherever it led her to, she looked up and she was at the foot of the tree. He led her to that place. And then she, in her own image of God, curiosity, and um, because she wasn't created perfect but innocent, she chose to eat from the tree one rebellious bite. She forgot God's word. Adam and Eve both then doubted God's word. Small snowball. Then they rejected after they ate the fruit. They rejected God's standards. The structure of husband and wife began to be a challenge for them. They rebelled against God's roles. Now the fallen nature takes over. And the snowball begins to roll almost on its own. They then deflect responsibility. It's not my fault, it's their fault. The girl that you gave me, it's her fault. And then the girl says, no, it's Satan. You put him in the garden, this is your garden, you shouldn't have let him in. They deflect responsibility and then they hide. Well, they actually hid before that. They hide from one another, they hide from God. And all of that happens in Genesis chapter three. Small snowball, one bite. By the time you get to Genesis chapter four, you have this now ongoing role that is beginning to really gain steam. Now the children are affected and their children are affected because sin just doesn't live to consume you. Sin lives to consume everyone around you. I'll say that one more time because it's really, it's tweetable. Sin doesn't just consume you, sin lives to consume everything and everyone around you. Cain walked away from God all on his own. There is no more serpent tempting Cain. Satan's not around. Cain does this all on his own. Why? Because sin has taken on a life of its own. Now it's innate in our nature. Attitudes and actions come naturally to us now at this point. There's no push from Satan. Cain did it all on his own with no help. And with those actions comes a large part, a large deal of consequences. Interestingly enough, God interceded, we talked about this last week, and warned Cain, if you do this, bad things are gonna happen. Sin is crouching at your door. Do you remember these verses? Its desire is for you, but you must master it. But Cain exhibited no remorse. The sin has spread to Cain, And Cain was only worried about one thing. Cain was worried about himself. himself. How would he live if God was gonna curse him for doing something small like uh, killing his brother? (laughs) And the snowball begins to get bigger, push, and more and more mass. By Genesis 5, we have an exponential acceleration of sin. Sin has now passed on to generations after generation after generations. In Genesis chapter 5 we have three more we have two more murders. That makes three murders already. In Genesis chapter 5. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 3 is where sin enters in. Genesis 5, three murders already. There's a murder out of jealousy, that's Cain and Abel. There's two murders recorded out of rage. One, the guy, his name is Lamech, he says, a guy pushed me, so I killed him. Another one, Lamech, the same guy says, he got struck in the face, and so he killed that guy. There are three murders recorded. There is a regular coldness to God by the time we get to Genesis 5. The lifespan is shortening also, a result of the, the, uh, the fall, sin. The ground is not producing like it should be. That is also a result of the fall, and worship is rare. Not many people are worshiping God. So my question to you this morning, this is a whole message. How does it get so bad so fast? How does it get so bad so fast? Now, let me, let me just say this. We should not be surprised at how flawed our nature really is. Consider where we got it from. Okay? Okay. We should not be uh, surprised at how flawed our nature is. Consider where we got it from. I have the same capacity of sin as the devil himself has because that's who I get my nature from. How do you like that? I am able to do far more evil things than I possibly could imagine that I could do because my nature does not come from God. My nature comes from the fall. I am born with a sinful nature. God did not create the sinful nature. That is a result of the fall and is passed on through every human being that lives. So I should not be surprised at how bad I can really be. Satan to humans, Eve to Adam, Cain to Abel, Lamech to others. By Genesis 6, sin has now consumed the entire world. Look at Genesis five and or six and verse five. "The Lord God saw the wickedness of man and how it was great in the earth, and that what's the next word, church? Every intention of the thoughts of His heart, that's humankind, was only what does it say, church? Evil, Evil continuously. continuously." This is three chapters into the narrative of sin. Can you see the snowball? Is it not shocking to you? Adam is still alive. And this is how bad it's gotten. There's a snowball that has found a steep hill and it has fallen and fallen and it's turned into an avalanche and it ca- caught all of creation and all of human beings in its path. This is the aftermath that we are watching in Genesis 5. So I want to finish off this morning, Genesis 4, and we're going to look at Genesis 5 as well. And here's my first point. What Satan began, sin will finish. What Satan began, sin will finish. Satan began it, but sin will finish, all on its own. Verse 17 of chapter 4, it follows a natural flow of Cain and uh, and where we're going to go from here, you're going to be shocked. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is not the Enoch that uh, you may be thinking about, popular, and we'll get we'll get to him eventually. But this is this is the son of Cain. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujal, and Mahujal father, fathered Methuselah. Great names. And, uh, uh, sorry, Methushel. And Methushel followed Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, he was the forger of all instruments, bronze and iron. The sister of Cain was Nama. Why are we told all of these people's names? Several different reasons. And they will shock you as to why they are very important. Because you may have just endured my reading of these generations, of these, this lineage. But let me tell you why this is important. You know, want to know why? Because human capacity was increasing from day one. The image of God that exists in us, being made in his image, fallen as we are, because sin is taking us over, but regardless of that, we still have the image of God, and that needs to to function. And so because we're made in image, in the image of God, human beings were flourishing. A city was built by Cain. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve. Cain was one generation after Adam and Eve. A city was built one generation after the first two people were created. It's pretty amazing, huh? Not only that, farming was a normal way of life now in human history. They farmed for their food. Also, musical instruments. Musical instruments are being used five generations after Adam and Eve. Adam, by the way, is still alive. Musical instruments are being used. Tools are being forged out of bronze and iron, just five generations after Adam and Eve. Now, if you go by this in scripture, it might speak against what you've learned in high school or uh, in, uh, in college, but if you go by this, it looks like uh, when Adam and Eve were created, all of a sudden we have a lot of human, um, human capacity increasing right out the gate. All of these different things were happening immediately in human history. All of these revolutions were happening while Adam was still alive. Then you get to the next verse, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Adda and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Always talked about himself in the third person. <laughs> hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 70 sevenfold. As human capacity increased, we're able to make instruments, we're able to farm, we're able to figure out how to to make the ground work for us, even though it was fighting against us. We even have musical instruments to put us to sleep at night. As our capacity is increasing as humans, so is our capacity for sin. Violence has already been loosed and has gotten out of control. Sin has been loosed, it's infiltrating all of creation at this point. The shocking growth and um, rapid acceleration of sin in human history by this point cannot be overstated. It's amazing to me how quickly we are doing things well and how quickly we are disintegrating because of sin. You see the contrast there? In fact, if you, don't think that, uh, if you think that I might be overstating it, let me tell you how God felt about it. In Genesis 6:6, the Lord regretted that he had made man in the earth and it grieved him in his heart. How does that verse strike you? How would you like for God to say, I regret that I made you? There was so much sin by this point Three chapters after sin entered in in Genesis chapter 3, there was so much sin pervasive on the planet that God actually, actually regretted he made man. And by the way, humans did not have a prayer to stop this snowball. No more than you do in your own personal life to stop the snowball of sin in your own life. Uh, every one of us tries to convince ourselves, right? We can handle it. Whatever our, our sin of choice is, and everybody that I'm looking at right now, you all have your sin of choice. The one that you really, really struggle with, the one that you won't let go of, the one you keep in the closet and hope nobody ever sees. We all have it, or maybe we have a couple. It and it's some brothers. The sad thing about it is, Human beings don't have a prayer to stop the snowball of sin. You delve into sin and see where it takes you, unfettered. See where it takes you. Sin has a life all its own. It cannot be stopped. It is like a snowball rolling down a hill. Sin has drawn a line in the snow. Sin is drawing a line in the snow between those who follow the Lord and those who participate unfettered in the avalanche of sin. And by Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, there are two lines. The line that says, no matter what, we're going to worship God. By the way, there's not many in that line. And the line that says, party hardy, baby. (laughs) Let's see where this whole thing called life takes us. Sin has a life all its own. The longer it rolls forward through history, by the way, the clearer those lines become. Human history proves this theory over and over and over again. We cannot stop the snowball of sin on our own without the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we have no idea how bad we can actually be. Even Paul the Apostle reminds us, except for the grace of God, we all go the same way. What Satan began, sin will finish. Listen, at this point in human history, and we're very early on, at this point in human history, Satan can kick up his feet and relax because it's all moving in the right direction for him. We know this instinctively today. Let me, let me just prove this to you. Like you're, I'm sure at this point when I was writing this out, I was thinking to myself, nobody's going to buy into this, even though everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And we're thinking to ourselves, eh, it's not quite that bad. Put a person in a room... Put a person in a room and tell them to talk without thinking, a steady stream. Talk without thinking for five minutes, unfettered. You're all by yourself. You're in a room. What do you think is going to come up? Blessings? (laughs) I have my theory of Tourette's. I think we all have Tourette's like way down deep inside. And if we just let ourselves go, I'm, I would be amazed and you would be amazed at what would come out. Let, let me take it down a different course. What if, what if you didn't live up to the commitment to your spouse and you cheated on your spouse? All right? You just decided, I'm just going to, uh, I'm married to this woman, but I'm just going to sleep with all these other women. How's that going to go for you? Like, th- I see that going in a good direction, don't you? No. It's going to go bad. Why is it going to go bad? We fool ourselves, though, don't we? We fool ourselves. When we're tempted to cheat on our spouse, we think, how bad can it be? And yet, when I'm sitting here here talking to you, and going, all right, let's just see. Just go sleep around and see what, what do you think is going to happen. But we convince ourselves that it's not as bad as it can be. And it is. It's even worse. How about this? Dwell consistently in your mind on somebody who has hurt you. Think about it when you get up in the morning. Think about it when you live through the day. Think about it when you go to bed at night. Somebody has hurt you, you put them in your brain, you think about them all the time. Don't let them go. Think about it all the time. Where is that going to take you? (laughs) Is that going to take you to a good place or a bad place? How about this? Allow yourself to dwell consistently on how good other people have it and how bad you have it. Think about it in the morning. Think about it all day. Dwell on it at night. Try to go to sleep and always think to yourself how good everybody else has it and how bad you have it. What kind of character are you gonna develop? What kind of attitude are you gonna come out of that with? And by the way, sin is no, this is all like, this is the natural snowball of sin. This is where sin will take you. And sin is no respecter of age. Uh, Let me talk to your kids for a little while. Give your kid a toy. And put another kid in there and say, okay, what I want you to do is steal his toy from him. And don't tell him, just rip it out of his hands and go play with it and don't let him play with it. All right, what do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> you don't even have to tell him, they just do it. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to tell them; they just do it, I know. But where is that sin going to lead? It's gonna lead to more sin, it's gonna lead to more challenges, it's gonna lead to more problems, it's gonna lead to more in, in, uh Um, infiltrations in our lives of other different sins. In TV world, you call this character development. Everybody ever ever see Breaking Bad? I know I'm not supposed to say that. I'm a pastor. Um, (laughs) That... We love these shows because of character development. They start these benign individuals, and, and it's like, okay, we see them, and then we see them go through situation after situation after situation. We think to ourselves, yeah, that's, that's, I'd handle it the same way. Yeah, I'd handle it the same way. Why? Because we can identify with their feelings. They got hurt, take it out on somebody else. Revenge, you know. Uh, go see The Avengers. It's all revenge, revenge, revenge. So you just watch that. Watch that go and see where that takes you. Uh, Breaking Bad, the reason I brought it up is because that is an amazing character development show. The guy starts selling drugs because I think it was his wife that had cancer and he's, oh, he had cancer and he was trying to get enough money because he couldn't have a surgery. And you're thinking to yourself, that sounds completely reasonable. (laughs) And he has no other way to get money. Of course, he could get a different job, but we don't even think about that because we identify with how helpless he is. So what does he do? He buys an RV and, t- and starts cooking meth in the desert. <laughs> then he sells the meth because it's some of the best stuff around. And he thinks to himself, but I'm going to stop at 750000 because that's how much the surgery costs. And we all think to ourselves, that sounds completely reasonable. Then he sells it And what happens is episode after episode, season after season, one of the seasons at the very beginning, he meets up with a drug dealer and that drug dealer does some terrible things. And you can see in his eyes, he is shocked that anyone could behave that way. The amazing thing about character development is if you watch that snowball take a life on its own, at the end of the episode, at the the end of the, the series, he is doing worse things than this first drug dealer ever would dream of doing. Why? That's a snowball. That is the natural progression of sin when we allow ourselves to get involved with it. This is where sin takes us and it takes on a life all its own and it will take off of your life more than you're willing to give. Gives you gray hair. Gives you gray hair. And the shock about all of this is everyone in this room knows this. You know sin will take way more from you than you're willing to give. And yet every one of us convinces ourselves it's not that bad. By the time we get to the New Testament, human beings have invented ways of doing evil. It wasn't enough to just let it happen. They took what God created and invented ways of hurting each other and and rebelling against God. Here's the verse I want you to see. This verse always shocks me when I read it. Romans 1 is the fall of human beings into this pit of sin. And by the time you get to the end of it, humanity is who we're talking about. Humanity became slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Does that sound familiar at all? And then the next phrase inventors of evil we don't need Satan to help us we'll invent new ways all on our own inventors of evil disobedient to parents by the way follows that (laughs) to disobey your parents that's a small one right that's just a bite of an apple but according to this list it follows inventing evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless. I'm often asked, why did God create sin? Let me just tell you, God did not create sin. Sin is a twisting of what God created good. Sin is only twisting what God already created and said it's good. Any sin you can come up with in your mind, any sin you can think of that you've faced in this life so far is only taking something good that God made and making it into something evil that can hurt you, hurt your family, hurt others or rebel against God. goes on to say in Romans, just in case we start getting so bad that we start feeling bad about who we are. We don't want you to feel bad about who you are. You're struggling with sin. Don't feel bad about that. Here's a way that you can handle that. Romans 1, next verse. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You know what that says? If you feel bad about what you're doing, get a whole bunch of people around you that do the same thing. Then you won't feel so bad. You'll realize you're just one of many. And you won't have that guilt in your head when you put your head on the pillow at night. The insidious nature of sin is we try and convince ourselves it is not that bad. And yet we're reminded daily how evil humanity can really be if the boundaries are loosed. There's a constant battle for our souls. And God tells us this. You do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual darkness in heavenly places. There is a war on for your soul. And you may think that it has to do with this person or that person or this thing or that thing, but it has to do with somebody who wants your soul and wants to destroy your life. And we live our lives like there's no battle at all. So we have two choices, submit to God or submit to the natural snowball of sin. God teaches us what Satan began, sin will finish. So we have two choices. In fact, I've got it on the next slide here. Uh, What Satan began, sin will finish. God warns us of this at the beginning. Remember when he came to Cain? Remember when he came to me, he said, listen, I'm here for your benefit. I'm telling you, things will get bad if you keep going down this road. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Do you remember that from last week? He said, its desire is for you, but you must master it. Not only did God warn us right from the beginning, but Jesus, when he showed up, he told us there are two things battling for our soul, two masters, he said in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters for you will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He even said of a group of religious leaders in his day, he said, you are of your father, the devil. There are two lines here. God warns us of the two lines. Jesus teaches us the two lines and the New Testament also teaches us the same thing. There are, by the way, many verses like this, but I'm pointing these out to you. Romans 6, 12. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you, what church? Obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We have two choices We can obey the natural progression of sin. There's an avalanche that's taking place. Or we can choose to obey another master. And there's a distinct line in the sand between the two, in the snow between the two. But the bottom line is we cannot stop the snowball on our own. Can't be done. We need somebody with perfect lineage, perfect background to save us. Someone who never got run over by the snowball. This is why trusting in Jesus Christ is an urgent matter for everyone. Sin corrupts everything it touches. Jesus provides a new nature. Here's a verse to go along with that Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you who are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit, at now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived. All of us were in the same boat. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and our mind, and we're by nature, what, church? Children of of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, we're all in the same boat. We are children of wrath, not children of God. Can I say that one more time? Because we live in a world that says we're all children of God. We were children of wrath not children of God. In fact, the Bible calls us enemies of God in our sin. We needed help from outside like the rest of mankind. And this is why God says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We needed somebody outside of ourselves to rescue us, to pull us off this path. So that brings me to my final point. What sin ruins, Jesus can restore. Back to Genesis. Genesis 4.25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. The line of Cain, or better, the line of of sin, continued throughout history, unbridled sin. But Seth's line was a continuation of Abel's line, this group who would follow the Lord. Now, if you read on, you'll find just lineage after lineage. This person begat this person, this person begat that person. I think the thing that we need to recognize is why that's the case is because God chooses a line through which to work. A line through which he will preserve his word. A line through which he will preserve a group of people to continue to worship and obey him. When God intervenes, healing and wholeness begins. But it will not happen until God intervenes. You are on a natural flow of the old nature of sin. You can't stop it. It is going to consume you. But if you allow God to rescue somebody that's never been on that line ever, never sinned once in their lives, Jesus Christ, he can pull you over onto his side through his grace. Seth's line is described this way. I love this verse. This is the last verse, by the way, of Genesis chapter four. To Seth also was born, a, uh, to Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. The narrative ends as it began. Adam and Eve walked with God, but a lot of junk happened after that. And the group of people that walked with God became fewer and fewer. Until we get to this line of Seth. And at that point, after all these people are born, at that point, people once again began to call upon the name of the Lord. What does that tell you about the group of people who call upon the name of the Lord? Is that a large group of people or a small group of people? And what does that tell you about the group of people that lived in the avalanche of sin, felt very comfortable just getting caught up in the snowball and seeing where their sin would take you? Without a group, grind right group of people or a small group of people? We do what our nature calls us to do. Every one of us has a sin nature and that sin nature calls us to obey its, its bellowings in our lives. The bottom line is this, Adam continues to have children and his children have children and few retain the values of calling on the Lord. Adam watches as his own children all follow the poor example he set for them in the garden of Eden. Now, let me tell you this. Adam, how many of you would love to live to be like 300? 400? No? Do you know how how long Adam lived? Holy smokes, how do you know that? Oh, there it is. (laughs) Adam lived for 930 years. I need to ask you a very, very significant question do you think he loved living for 930 years? Can you imagine how his family reunions were? Can you imagine the majority of people at this point, and he knew them all, the majority of people hated God, and only a few worshiped God. And every time Adam would look over this crowd of people at these family reunions after 100 years, After 200 years, and they had kids until they were six and 700 years old. The gene pool had just begun. God had just created human beings. The gene pool was as pure as pure as pure. It shouldn't even have ever stopped except for sin. But it started It started getting slower and slower and timelines got shorter and shorter. But, but because it was pure, like God created it just three, uh, 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 six chapters ago, you have this pure gene pool line. Everybody's living old. And Adam was one of the oldest of all. And he knew when he went to these family reunions, he knew why all these kids were failing. It was because of him. How do you think he felt? I imagine by 930 years old, he just said, God, just, just take me now. I can't, I can't stand it anymore. You think your kids disappoint you? Can you imagine 930 years of being disappointed because your sin brought their failure? I think his longevity was a curse and not a blessing. Jesus also reminds us that the righteous are the exception in the world. They're not the norm. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13, his own words, enter by the, what church? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Why is it easy? It's a natural progression of an avalanche of sins, natural snowball. Those who enter by it are many and the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those, those who find it are few. There is a, Uh, silver lining in this, we have two in Genesis chapter 5 who live for the Lord. The first one, his name is Enoch. Do you remember the story of Enoch? We're not told a lot about Enoch. This is the only passage we actually have. There's some of it reiterated throughout the scriptures about Enoch, but this is the only detailed explanation of what we had. All we know is that Enoch lived 65 years and fathered Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest human being to ever live. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Total years were 365 years, and then all we're, all we're told is that he walked with God, and he was one of the few that did. And all of a sudden, he was not because God took him. And some people, most people believe that he did not die. He went directly to heaven, that there was a miraculous movement. But all we know is about the faith of Enoch. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. And then we're told of one more in verse 28. Lamech lived, this is a different Lamech, the non-murderous man, Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years and he fathered a son and they called his name what church? Noah. 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 Saying, out of the ground the Lord is cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and the painful toil of our hands. Noah saved. Noah saved the human race. Believe it or not, and by the way, that's why we're going to get into that story, but that's why God destroyed human existence because of his regret in seeing how sin had ruined his world. Believe it or not, all of this lesson comes down to one simple question why all these lineages? If you read through five, you'll see all these lineages. They show family history. They confirm prophecy. Lineages are really important for a lot of different things. They establish the Bible's accuracy. So you can see this person, we get this person. Then you can look in human history and find out, hey, this is exactly how it happened. So they confirm the Bible's historical accuracy. They show that God works through families. All those things are true. But the big answer to this question why do we have all lineages in Genesis chapter 4 and 5? It's to demonstrate that God's story cannot be stopped. Sin was as bad as it could be, and it had a life all its own. But God had a story that couldn't be stopped. And he begins calling families into his story, and he invites people to join in his story. And that's why Genesis 5, the whole lineage thing, this person begat this person, this person begat this person, the whole thing starts in Genesis 5 again with two verses, and here's what they say. Genesis 5 verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female created them, and he blessed them, and he named them. Man, when they were created. Do you know why God starts here again? Is because in Genesis 3 and 4, man got human beings got screwed up. And their parents were bad, and their grandparents were bad, and they were bad parents, and their kids were bad, and, and, and all of evil had kind of corrupted everything so that man did evil continually in the sight of the Lord. That's why he starts again in verse 1 of chapter 5, after he tells us, Seth. Seth started a line of people who once again called upon the name of the Lord. That's how verse chapter 4, that's how chapter 4 ends. And then it starts again in verse 1 of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Why? Because there's a brand new line. There's a line that God is preserving. There's a group of people. They don't have to be bloodline of Adam. They don't have to be bloodline of this person or bloodline of that, that person because God still does that today. He reaches down and he takes people out of this avalanche of sin, this natural progression of sin, this natural line. If you come from a family where it just stink, you come from a family where you were abused and mistreated, the good news about the gospel is that God loves to take people out of those broken, ty- those broken lineages and pull them over and put them into a healthy lineage. And it began all the way back with Seth, with, with Abel and with Seth, and with these people that choose to worship God rather than get caught up in the natural progression of sin. God reminds us, even when we're in this avalanche of sin, it began with a small snowball, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You have potential because you can allow God to pull you out of that avalanche and put you into a brand new line, the line where God is your father and Jesus is your brother. From this point forward, Cain's line would rise up against Seth's line on a regular basis. By the, note, by the time Noah arrives in Genesis chapter 6, it's all out factions. Violence fills the earth. There's just war after war after war. And God says, I have had it. And he brings a flood. Noah preserves the line. And Ham was a moron. He had three kids, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Ham sinned in God's eyes horrifically. Shem and Japheth did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and God blessed Shem and Japheth and their line. And the line continued. And you can follow it all the way through scripture, how God blessed this line of people who would worship him and not get caught up in the the avalanche of sin. All of this reminds us that we are here for a purpose. Listen, God created us not to simply reproduce, but to reproduce God followers. You are here not to just have kids. (laughs) Your lineage is wonderful. I value my lineage, but my purpose here is not to hang on to my human lineage. My, My purpose here is to become a part of the lineage of God, people that he's calling out and giving a new line. He gives them a new name. He gives them a new purpose. He gives them a new start. He calls it new birth. Jesus called it new birth. Why? Because you are born into the family of God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew five fourteen, you are the light of the world. He always has a remnant, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't put a light in a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it lights up the whole house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Lord always makes sure that there's a remnant, the line he chooses to work through. And you can be on that line today, but you must make that choice. You didn't have a choice to be born into this world, but you do have a choice to be born into the line of God. Like Paul said in scripture, I implore you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this, um, this lesson today from Genesis chapter 4 or 5. So many, uh, so many people that have come and gone in this world and the lines of people who have had children and their children have had children now, we're, we're here now because we're in that line. But that line brings sin and it comes very, very natural to us. It convinces us we can master it. It's not as bad as it really is. And it lies to us. Every one of us have seen the destruction that sin can bring into our lives. Thank you that you're still preserving a remnant. Thank you that you still pull people out of the dark and bring them into the light. Thank you that you have given us your righteousness because of Jesus Christ, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his righteousness, because we are brought into your family. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is caught in sin, that is still in the darkness, that you would reach down and pull them into the light. Give them hope. Give them a taste of joy. Help them to know the freedom. That those of us who already know you have that, to, that it is for freedom that you have set us free convince them of the shackles that sin delivers but the freedom that you promise release them from their prison cells and help us to carry on a line of people that love to worship you As we do that now, I pray that you would be pleased in Jesus' name, amen.